Good morning, and welcome to the Clarny Mennonite Church worship service. Today is Ascension Sunday. This is the day where we remember that 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he ascended up into the clouds and returned to his Father in heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, we read of that day. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So my friends, today, let us remember that just as Jesus ascended up into heaven, the words of those angels are likewise true that in the same way he will one day return just as he left. And that day is closer than when they said that by 2,000 years. And so as we anticipate his soon return, until that day, Jesus' last words, his final words to his disciples still apply to us. And he said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so today, we are his witnesses. And COVID-19 doesn't change that one bit. Our mission is still the same, regardless of our world circumstances. In fact, it's more urgent than ever. And so rather than getting distracted by all the noise and all the fearful circumstances of the world around us, let us keep our eyes focused on our soon-returning Savior and keep our feet moving forward on the mission that he has given us to be his witnesses from Killarney and to the very ends of the earth. Now, someone who has been faithfully doing that for many years now and has now gone on to be with his Savior is the late Ravi Zachariah. And he passed away just this past week. Someone said of him, While Billy Graham is the great evangelist, Ravi Zachariah is the great apologist. And indeed, his wise and reasoned explanations and defense of the Christian faith has positively impacted many millions of people around the globe, and including my own life. I've read many of his books, and they've had an impact on me personally. I would also like to share that This Sunday, May the 24th, is the three-year anniversary of the passing of two dear saints from our church family, and that is Pastor Henry Falk and my grandmother, Marie Greening, who both passed away on the same day three years ago. And though it's hard to believe that three years have already passed, I am reminded that For them, along with now Ravi Zachariah and many others, eternity with Jesus has only just begun. And so we rejoice that they are at home with their Savior. Now I'd like to move on to sharing a few updates with you. Turtle Mountain Bible Camp has just announced that under Manitoba's Phase 2 restrictions, running regular overnight camps is simply not possible. However, they are planning to run day camps. And so I just spoke with our church's camp board rep, Matt Reimer, and he shared with me that in addition to doing day camps at the camp, they may also do traveling day camps where they would come and use our church building to host a day camp right here. 
Uh, Matt also shared that he's still hopeful that holding overnight camps could still happen this summer. And of course, things have yet to be uh, seen in this regard, but if things keep going in the positive direction and the Manitoba government further loosens restrictions to allow overnight camping, uh, that could still be possible uh, later on this summer. And so we will just keep praying that in whatever form camp takes this year, that boys and girls will still hear the good news of Jesus, of God's great love for them, in whatever form that takes. And so let's keep praying that 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 mission will move forward. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with hearts of thanksgiving. You are a good God, and in all seasons you are worthy of our worship. And so we thank you, Lord, for graciously leading us through this challenging season in all of our lives. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that you will continue to lead us even in the days to come. And we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you that you are providing a way for us to be able to once again regather as the family of faith here at the Clarny Mennonite Church. And so we just thank you for these things. We thank you, Lord, for providing the beautiful weather these past weeks for especially the farmers uh, that they are now able to put seed in the ground. Uh, We thank you uh, for all of the ways that you continue to bless our lives, even in challenging times. Uh, We thank you for the opportunities to connect as families. Uh, We thank you for for the opportunity to uh, continue to be creative in putting your word out and perhaps spreading it even further than we did previously. And so we thank you for that. We thank you that we can use the internet and different technology to spread the word even further. Lord, we pray for Turtle Mountain Bible Camp. We pray for all of the camps, for wisdom for them, and the ability to still do camp in some capacity this summer so that boys and girls can hear the gospel. And so we pray for that, that mercy and that favor for them, Lord. We pray for the persecuted church around the world, Lord. We pray for those brothers and sisters in China in Vietnam, in North Korea, in in many other communist nations, in in other Muslim nations, where to be a Christian is is a dangerous thing. And so we intercede for them, Lord, and we ask that you would strengthen them, encourage them, and we pray that you would undertake for them even today, Lord. We pray for all of those, Lord, who are struggling with loneliness or anxiety or depression or even suicidal thoughts. This has been a challenging time, Lord, and so we pray that you would undertake for all of these needs. Provide hope. Provide encouragement. We pray for those who are uh, struggling financially. And we also pray, Lord, that your gospel will go out in power in these days. We pray that it would go out in all of its life-transforming ability to redeem us from the darkness and, and give us hope, give us life, and give us a firm footing for our feet, Lord, to stand upon. And so we pray that us here at Clarny Mennonite Church, Lord, we would be faithful in that mission that you've called us to, that we would live it out right here from our homes in Clarny, Manitoba, and and take it out to the very ends of the earth. And so we pray, Lord, that your will will be accomplished as your word goes out. Speak through it today, even through me, your servant, as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading today, taken from Genesis chapter 37. And there I'll read verses 23 to 28, and then I will flip ahead a few chapters to Genesis chapter 45 and verses 1 to 8. So beginning now at Genesis 37 and verses 23 to 28. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now let's move ahead to Genesis 45 and verses 1 to 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So far the reading of God's word. The sermon for today I've entitled, The Providence of God. I first preached a portion of this message back in 2016, but in reading it again this past week, I found it especially applicable to our current circumstances that we find ourselves in in these days, and so I have adapted it to share with you once again, and I hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by it. Would you bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living and active, that it will not return void, and so I pray that it would go out in power. I pray that you would bless and anoint it, and that it would bear fruit in our lives. Speak through me, your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, does anyone remember back in the good old days when we used to have garbage fires in the middle of the yard? Now, I won't ask any of you out there if you still do that, but I remember when I was a kid, probably about 10 years old, that's what we would do. You'd take chemical uh, boxes, jugs even, and just light them up in the middle of the yard, and it it was a great time for a bonfire. Well, it was on just such an occasion when around 10 years of age, my grandpa Greening, bless him, he had piled up all of the empty chemical jugs and the boxes and any garbage from the downstairs shop, and he had started this rather large garbage fire in the middle of our farmyard. Well, needless to say, being a normal 10-year-old boy, I was drawn like a moth to a flame, so to speak. And of course, within short order, I had a nice stick in my hand, a poker stick, with which I was poking the fire. And soon enough, as I'm poking the fire, I I get this glob of molten 
chemical jug plastic on the end of my stick and then it became my nice little torch as the flame flickered there and I was quite proud of this torch that I had created. Now some time goes by as I'm playing around the fire and the flame finally goes out on my stick and then as I thoughtlessly and carelessly lowered it down to my side, I accidentally touched its still smoldering end to the side of my bare ankle. I was only wearing shorts. I touched it to the side of my bare ankle where a glob of this molten chemical jug plastic sticks to my skin. And so feeling the burn and instantly realizing what I had done, I just sprinted back towards the outside tap at our house to douse my lag in water. Now, just as I arrived at the tap outside of the house, bang! This sharp explosion echoes through the air and it's, and it's echoing around the farmyard, this sharp crack. And while it turns out that this explosion came from something that was buried within that garbage pile. For inside was this empty aerosol can of ether. You know, the, the kind of cans that have those big warning signs of an explosion on the outside of the can? Yeah, that kind of a can. And so when that can exploded, my, my older brother Jamie, he'd been playing basketball about 100 feet away from this fire. And he had even that far away had a piece of metal shrapnel from that exploding can hit him in the side of the leg. So now here's the thing. If I had not burnt myself, and yes, it was an extremely painful third-degree burn, but if I had not burnt myself, I would have been standing directly above that can, and it would have exploded right in my face. And who knows what would have happened to me then. And so, at that time in my life, as a 10-year-old kid, that explosion, honestly, had barely even registered with me because all I could think about was the pain in my leg. But as I grew older, I would think back on that incident, and I wondered, was it just dumb luck? Like, was it just sheer coincidence that because I had burned myself, that I'd sprinted away from the fire literally seconds before that can exploded? Well, the more I thought about it, the more convinced I became that it was not just dumb luck, it was not just some coincidence, that in fact, it was the unseen hand of divine providence that was there that day, protecting me. And I'll tell you, my personal theory is that there was an angelic nudge on that stick that pushed that burning plastic into my leg that day. But whether that was or, or not, all I know is that God was in it. So now let me ask you, do you believe in the hand, the unseen hand of divine providence? Now just so we're clear on what we mean and what I mean by divine providence is this. Let's break down the word providence. Pro means before and video, the the. Video embedded within provide, video, means to see. And so when you put those two words together, pro and video, providence means literally to see before. So divine providence means that God sees before and then plans and acts accordingly in order to accomplish his will. Remember, he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So in human terms, it's as though he can skip to anywhere on the DVD and see ahead of time, beforehand, 
what is going to happen and then plan and act accordingly. And so in my case, God saw before that there was a can hidden within that fire that was about to explode and it was not his will to allow me to be killed or maimed by this exploding can. And so his unseen hand put things into motion to stop that from happening. Now, at the same time, in saying that, though God is in control of all things, he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, over and above all things, that doesn't mean that we are just some sort of puppets on God's string. We're not just actors in a play that we have no choice in the outcomes. For God has also given us free will, and so we make decisions, and our decisions have consequences, and we are responsible to bear the consequences of our decisions. Cause and effect still operates in God's universe. But God is so creative, so wise, and so powerful that he can weave together those countless decisions, both good and bad, of millions upon billions of people alive in the world at any given time and and throughout the spans, the long ages of history, he can weave those all together in such a way as to still achieve his purposes in accordance with his perfect will. Now, I suspect that most of you out there listening today already believe in divine providence. But what about times when things seem to just be going wrong and there appears to be no silver lining, there appears to be no deliverance, there's just the pain of that burn. What then? How do we respond? Case in point, these past few months in our world have been crazy, unprecedented. We don't even have words to describe exactly what has been going on. Our entire world has been dealing with the devastating effects of this pandemic. And in addition to those who have been directly affected by the virus itself and those who have lost their lives, the ripple effect of the shutdown measures have decimated whole industries, leaving many times more people losing jobs, businesses, and livelihoods. And the ripple effects are still far from over. And in some cases, it will take many years to see the full impact of what this singular crisis will have upon our nation and our world. So... Where is the unseen hand of divine providence in this crisis? Where where is God in a pandemic? Well, to this question, Vance Havner once gave this reply. The unseen hand may be as obscured at times by the fog of circumstance, but just because we can't see the sun on a cloudy day doesn't mean that it isn't there. Just because we can't see the sun on a cloudy day doesn't mean that it isn't there. You see, just because the storm clouds above us right now are black, that doesn't mean that the sun has stopped shining beyond them. You see, just because we may not yet be able to see the good that God's providence is working through this trial, that does not mean it isn't still coming and is perhaps just right right around the corner. Still, I know this isn't easy. And when there's still storm clouds overhead and even more on the horizon, it's still easy for doubts to begin to sneak in. Is God really in control? Is he really working out good through all of this? Well, to that, Charles Spurgeon once said, 
We believe in the providence of God, but we do not believe half enough in it. You see, we give lip service to it, but really in our heart of hearts, do we believe in it truly and fully as we ought to? And so let me ask you, with the dark clouds of circumstance still overhead, still on the horizon, how convinced are you that the unseen hand of divine providence is still, even now, at work in this world and more personally, at work in your life, right now, where you're sitting today? How convinced are you? Are you fully convinced? Are you half convinced or are you not really convinced at all? Well, if there was ever a man who had good reasons to doubt the unseen hand of divine providence, it was Joseph. If you turn there with me again to Genesis chapter 37 and verses 23 to 28, we we read that earlier And we see here how how Joseph is just a young man. He's been given these amazing dreams from God and he can't help but share them with his brothers and they become jealous. And and they're they're jealous, they're envious. Their dad, Jacob, has given him all sorts of preferential treatment. He made this beautiful coat of many colors for him. And so Joseph, he's this naive teenager and he doesn't see it. And so when he comes out skipping along in the, in the fields many miles from home, he doesn't realize how, how much his brothers have grown to hate him. And so when they see him coming and they're conspiring of whether they should kill him or what they should do with him, he doesn't have a clue until the very moment they lay their hands on him and they throw him in this empty cistern. Now when you think about that, brothers taking their own younger brother And no matter how they feel towards him, no matter how jealous they are, can you imagine someone from your own family, your own brothers, taking you and throwing you into a pit and then even plotting your murder? But then one of them saying, well, he is our brother after all. Let's just sell him as a slave. And they actually follow through on doing that. Can you even imagine that as Joseph is taken away in chains, the utter betrayal and the pain and the despair that Joseph experienced. He's probably never going to see his family again, not that he's going to miss these brothers, but his father and his younger brother Benjamin, who were were dear and close to his heart. He didn't know if he would ever see them again. Where was God's providence in that moment? Very few would have faulted Joseph if in that moment he had wondered, If God had forsaken him. Then years pass as a slave in Egypt. And then yet again, just when things are finally looking up for him, he's being put in charge of his master Potiphar's entire household. He's such a conscientious and and wise steward. And just at this moment, things go wrong again. Potiphar's wife, he catches her eye. She tries to seduce him. And when he resists all of her advances... And finally, she, she just out of sheer madness, she accuses him of forcing himself upon her. And as a result, Joseph is, of course, taken and thrown into a deep, dark dungeon. Joseph very well could have cried out on that day when he hit that dungeon floor, Where are you, God? 
Just when things seem to be getting better again. You know, I've already been sold into slavery. I'm never going to see my family again. Maybe I could have made a life for myself here, but now here I am again in a pit, in a dungeon. Where are you, God? Where is your unseen hand of divine providence in this? But though there may well have been moments where Joseph entertained thoughts like that, Scripture never once records words of disbelief or doubt coming from Joseph's lips. For despite his circumstances, we see throughout his story that Joseph maintained an unshakable faith in God. And so we know how the rest of the story goes, and, and he's finally, there's the, Pharaoh has a dream, Someone remembers that he was able to interpret dreams and and he's brought before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream that there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph's wisdom that he promotes him to his right hand, second in command over the entire kingdom. His vindication had finally come. And then that fateful day arrives. The famine has begun. And Joseph's brothers, the ones who had sold him all those years before into slavery, are finally before him, groveling at his feet, begging for mercy. And rather than lifting his own hand in vengeance, in retribution, in making them feel the pain that he had felt, Joseph instead points to God's unseen hand of providence, which used even his brother's acts of profound cruelty to orchestrate their family's deliverance. Genesis 45, 4-8 says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. See, he's not letting them off the hook. He reminds them what they had done. Verse 5, And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Then later in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20, Joseph again reassures his brothers, saying to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, how incredible is that? That Joseph was was so aware of God's unseen hand in all of his life's troubles and circumstances that he gets to the point in his life where he can look his own brothers in the eye, the one who had had jealousy and murderous intent in their hearts, and say to them, what you intended for evil, God has used for good and the saving of many lives. So then, it was not even you in the end who sent me here, but God. Isn't that incredible? The wisdom, the faith that Joseph expressed. Now, if God could use even the jealousy and the murderous intent of Joseph's brothers to bring about so much good and such a deliverance, then I ask you, is there any circumstance that you or I are currently facing that is too difficult for God? 
Is there some scenario that's even worse than what we've experienced where we'd say, well, that's just a little too much for God. He, he couldn't handle a situation like that. Is there such a circumstance? Does it exist? Well, to this, T. Dewitt Talmadge said, despots may plan and armies may march and the congresses of all the nations may seem to think that they are adjusting all the affairs of the world but the mighty men of the earth are only the dust of the chariot wheels of God's providence. I love that last line. But the mighty men of the earth are only the dust of the chariot wheels of God's providence. So you see, my friends, when we look at the world's state right now, and what all the governments of the world think they're controlling and doing and, and, and every other plot and scheme that may exist. Let me ask you this question as we think of it in this context. Can God use this current global crisis? Could God use this pandemic and even the world governments that are opposed to him and even the plots and the schemes of evil men? Can he use even them to accomplish his perfect will for our good and for his ultimate glory and for the saving of many? Can he use all of those things? Well, the story of Joseph tells us unequivocally, absolutely, yes, yes, and yes, God can. And my friends, he is. I believe that. I believe that. He is accomplishing his perfect will in and through these circumstances. So consider again that despite everything Joseph endured for many years, he steadfastly held on to his faith in the unseen hand of divine providence. And just look at how God blessed and rewarded Joseph's faith by not only elevating him, not only vindicating him, but by using him to save many lives, including the lives of his own father and his own brother, Benjamin, when they were united once more. So how could God be working about good in the same way in our circumstances right now? Well, at the beginning of this year, I felt God just lay on my heart an even greater desire to see people right here in Killarney come to faith in Jesus Christ and and be saved. I've had that burden on my heart for years and years, and it never goes away, and that's a good thing. But I just felt God saying, you know what? The time is urgent. The time is now. And, and it's always urgent, and it's always now, and I'm just feeling that on my heart. And some of you will recall that I shared at our very last membership meeting right before this, this whole crisis struck that the Gideons were offering a personal witnessing course in Winnipeg, and I was hoping that myself and some others from our church would be able to attend. But then all of this happened and the world changed and everything was canceled, including that witnessing course. And yet all of this has got me thinking. You know, we've tried for so long to get people from outside of the church to come inside of the church building to hear the good news of Jesus, to hear the gospel. But while we can probably count on one, maybe two hands where that has happened, the overall numbers remain small. But now, from these current circumstances of this crisis, now having been forced to physically close our doors and then learn how to broadcast our services the way you're watching it right now over the internet, our sermons, along with thousands of others, 
other small churches just like ours doing the exact same thing, along with other larger churches who have been already doing it for a long time, there are literally thousands and thousands of gospel messages going out across the internet, across satellite, across radio airwaves, all across our, our nation and our world right now. And so now, because of this, this sermon, you hearing me speak right now, is not only available in Clarny, it's available across our nation and indeed around the world if anyone would care to watch and to listen. And so now, rather than getting people to come to us through technology, we are actually going to them. We're going into living rooms. We're going into homes. We're going into private time as someone pulls out their smartphone and watches. And just consider how many people in this, in this crazy time in our world, how many people have been holed up at home, perhaps worried about what's going on, you know, perhaps seeking the Lord because they realize that, you know what, I've been ignoring him for too long. Or maybe there's people just bored. They're bored and they're, and, and, and they're on their Facebook page and they see a friend shared a sermon, they click on the link, and, and out of boredom, they listen to a sermon that they never would have otherwise. And they hear the good news of Jesus, and it sparks something inside of them, and they respond. Now, for myself, I don't have solid numbers, but I can tell you that anecdotally, I have heard from way more people directly to me, whether through phone calls or texts or emails from way more people outside of the Clarny region than I ever have before. And these people, some of them, have been tuning into our services quite regularly. And to you, I say, hello, keep tuning in. It's great to have you as an extended part of our local church family. And so this is just one small congregation. And and, and on a much larger scale, I just saw an article where Pastor David Jeremiah said that he has gone from preaching to 5,000 people in-house every Sunday to 90,000 people every Sunday via the internet. Now, what is God doing with all of this? What is God doing with this increased spread of the gospel via the internet during this pandemic? Only time will tell. But God's word says it will not return to him void. And I believe that God is providentially using this time to draw people to himself like never before. And who knows, perhaps there are people right here in Clarny, maybe you're listening right now today, someone who would never darken the doorway of a church under regular circumstances, but you're listening, you're hungry, you're seeking. And maybe there's people right now in our town who right now just need someone who will come alongside them and help them take that next step of faith. Whatever the days ahead will look like, whatever they have yet to reveal, of this we can be confident, that the unseen hand of divine providence is at work in our lives, in our town, in our nation, and yes, around our world. Let me share with you in closing the story of one Thomas Koch. Koch was a sophisticated, Oxford-educated Welshman, And he left his ministry in the Anglican Church to become John Wesley's chief assistant in the new and quickly growing Methodist movement. And so on September 24th, 1785, he packed his books and bags and he sailed out of England down the channel and into the Atlantic Ocean headed for Nova Scotia, where he planned to establish a group of missionaries who accompanied him on this journey. 
But as they crossed the Atlantic Ocean, the voyage hit rough waters and it grew more perilous by the day. And the ship being caught in mountainous waves and massed splitting winds. The ship's captain soon became convinced that Coke and the missionaries, like biblical Jonah, were running from God and bringing misfortune upon his ship. He even considered throwing them overboard. But while he stopped short of that, he did, in fact, gather some of Coke's papers and, and personal possessions and throw them into the sea. So rather than the expected one-month voyage, it, in fact, took three months and instead of landing in Nova Scotia, they arrived instead in the Caribbean island of Antigua. There, the tattered ship limped unannounced and unexpected into St. John's Harbor in the pre-dawn light of Christmas morning, December 25th, 1777. Coke had heard that at least one Methodist missionary lived somewhere in Antigua, a man named John Baxter. And hoping to find him, Coke and his three missionaries went ashore in the early morning and started down the street into St. John's. They stopped the first person they found, a fellow walking up the street, swinging a lantern in his hand, and asked him if he knew where they could find John Baxter. And to their utter astonishment, the man replied, Look no further, you've found him. Well, he was there in the flesh, John Baxter, on his way to prepare for a special Christmas morning service that he had planned for the island. And the sudden appearance of Coke, along with his missionaries, just out of the blue, out of the darkness, seemed to be too good to be true. John Baxter pinched himself and then said to them, I have prayed fervently to the Lord to send me more workers, for the harvest here is too much for me alone. As news of the stranger's arrival spread through the city, the crowd began to grow. And it took three services to accommodate the crowds on that Christmas Day celebration. After it was all over, Coke and the missionaries abandoned any idea of going up to Nova Scotia. Instead, they planted this missionary team on Antigua. And so by the time of Coke's death in 1814, there were over 17,000 new believers in Jesus Christ, planted there on the island. You see, sometimes when our plans don't work out as we have hoped, it's because God, in his overruling providence, he's, do, he's detouring us to something greater, something grander than what our own limited minds are able to imagine. He did it in the time of Joseph. He did it in the time of Thomas Koch. And I believe that God is doing it in our time as well. For this reason, I am utterly convinced that even in our worst trials, even in our worst pain, even in our worst despair, no matter what comes our way, I am convinced that God is preparing an even greater victory for all those who, like Joseph, keep the faith and press on trusting that God's unseen hand of divine providence is still at work and one day it will be fully revealed and it will be for our ultimate good and for God's eternal glory. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we glorify your name for all of these things that bear testimony to your greatness are all-powerful, omniscient, all-loving creator God, 
You are able to do anything and everything. Nothing is impossible for you. And so, Lord, in these days, as it seems like there's doom and gloom all around, help us to look above. And like Joseph, even when we're thrown in the dungeon, so to speak, that even there we will keep the faith and persevere, knowing the story is not finished yet. You are at work, and one day it will be revealed. And so, Lord, we pray that in these times, that as the gospel is going out through different platforms, including this online message, Lord, I pray that it would be finding fertile soil, that people who have not yet placed faith in you will, will be seeking it out, listening, and the Holy Spirit will be convicting hearts and drawing people to salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, to this end we pray, to this end we commit ourselves as a family of faith. Use us in spite of us, work in and through us, we pray, for your glory. And so now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and evermore. Amen. May God bless you. And Lord willing, I look forward to seeing many of you in person right here next week. Have a great week.